Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 541, chapter 81, The Jealous Moon. That evening, Martin shot a trio of fat rabbits. I dug roots and picked a few herbs, and before the sun was down, the five of us sat down to a meal made perfect by the addition of two large loaves of fresh bread, butter, and a crumbly cheese too local to have any specific name. Spirits were high after a day of good weather, and so with dinner came more stories. Hespi told a surprisingly romantic tale of a queen who loved a serving boy. She told her tale with a gentle passion, and if her telling didn't show a tender heart, the look she gave Dayton as she spoke of the queen's love did. Dayton, however, failed to see the marks of love on her, and with a folly I have rarely seen equaled, he began to tell a story he'd heard at the Pennysworth Inn, a tale of Felurian. The boy who told me this was hardly as old as Crowthier, Dayton said, and if you'd heard him talk, you'd have seen he wasn't the sort who could invent such a tale. The mercenary tapped his temple meaningfully. But listen, and judge for yourself if it's worth believing. As I've said, Dayton had a good tongue in his head and a sharper wit than you'd guess when he decided to use it. Unfortunately, this was one of the times when the former was working and the latter was not. For time out of mind, men have been wary of this stretch of woods, not for fear of lawless men or becoming lost. He shook his head. No, they say the fair folk make their homes here. Cloven-hooved pucks that dance when the moon is full, dark things with long fingers that steal babes from cribs, and many's the woman, old wife or new, who leaves out bread and milk at night, and many's the man who makes well sure he builds his house with all his doors in a row. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I have things. Uh, Okay, the sentence... Uh, she told her is it story or tale with a gentle passion. Story in my book. Story in my book too. She told her story. Uh, if I said tale, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I think it's just rolling with it. You were moved for the muse. Probably same sort of case, but many's the woman, old wife or new. There's no and before many, right? Or did Rothfuss do a run on sentence? Because that would also be very intriguing. No, there is and many's the man who makes well sure. There's a full stop and then and many's the man who makes Yeah, well okay, sure. same in my book. All right. Grammar, All error, is... grammar, error. No, oh, whatever. It would have been yeah, a but No, like... no, no. This is Dayton. This is diegetically quoting what Dayton is saying. That doesn't matter in prose. Like you you're no one no one when they speak I... is considering the grammar of their sentence. But I know, I agree with you. We're on the same side. Mr. Grammar error detector. What is this? I, like, if I was Patrick Rothfuss's copy editor, I would have put a comma and made that a lowercase. And I don't personally but give a no, shit. It, <laughs> no, Jeremy, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're changing sides here. This is Dayton speaking, so clearly this is this is done with intention. This isn't a mistake. No, it isn't. It doesn't matter if you no. Know, when a character speaks, yes, it is. No, let me finish. Let me finish. You dink. You absolute <laughs> dink in a pot. He is telegraphing Dayton's style of speaking. Dayton comes to a full stop, and then he continues the next sentence by going and. This isn't a grammar thing. This is a direction thing. uh, If you wanted to do that, then the thing to do would be to close off milk at night, put Dayton said, comma, and. 
I quit. I quit the podcast. The podcast is over. Okay, I have a different thing that is not as pedantic as Jeremy's thing. All right, so the boy who told this story to Dayton was no older than Quoth, or like around his age, right? Hardly as old as Quoth here, sure. And it's it's a story that he says like sounds like like he couldn't have made it up, right? Or that if someone made it up, he wasn't the one who did. Yeah, he's yeah, he's saying like this kid was too dumb to have made the story. Yes. So I think, although I haven't actually, like, obviously we've heard the story before in previous reads, but I cannot remember what the story actually is. But with the with the vague knowledge that Foth went to Faye and came back with a story and told it probably at a pub, maybe the same thing happened to this kid? Oh, I thought you were going to say time loop confirmed. I thought you were going to say that Foth from the future. <laughs> I also <laughs> thought that's where Jordan was going. Time loop confirmed that. I absolutely thought that's where Jordana was going. <laughs> I'm I mean, not as crazy as you two. No, and Jordana, your idea makes a lot more sense than that. Because <laughs> this story does, like, it takes place around here, right? It's not about any woods. It's about the woods they're in right now. Which could just be Dayton being a good storyteller and taking a little creative liberty. Or it could be that this kid actually did have some kind of supernatural experience or knows someone who did. And that's why the story has a kind of ring of truth to it. I think it's far more likely that someone in the very distant past was able to escape Valurian, and that's where the story comes from. Otherwise, it makes Quoth's escape way less special if every dumb kid can just get away from Valurian and tell the tale in the in the pub. Maybe Quoth's story is way less special than we think it is. Yeah, maybe. No. Maybe. <laughs> Jerry, I, instant no. <laughs> or maybe it's time loop confirmed and Quoth is the only one who's ever escaped from Valyrian, but the story has gone around yeah, again. That's, that's the thing, right? If the point is that no one escapes from Valyrian, they, they break like waves upon the rock of her awesomeness. So if, if she lets everybody go, then she's not much of a, a siren sex goddess. Maybe so it, the reason she lets people go is so that her tail is spread. Well, isn't that how Quoth convinces her to let him go? Yeah, but... So there's something to that, Jordana. What I think is true about what Jordana has pointed out is that this story is a local story. It's not just... It's not like... It's not like a a fairy tale that takes place kind of nowhere and everywhere, uh, like Red Riding Hood. It's it's specific to the pl- to the place that they are in. And I think that from that we can glean that the people around here like have had encounters with Florian throughout history in one way or another, which is why they believe that these woods are, are the home of the fair folk, because in some sense they are right. Like, so that's, that's an example of the recurring theme of stories having a grain of truth in them. And I I also want to call out that uh, a lot of the descriptions that Rothfuss puts in Dayton's mouth about what the fairies are like are co-sanguinous with uh, at least English fairy stories, right? Like they would in like Elizabethan times or whatever, you would put out bread and milk, you know, to feed the fair folk and make sure that they stayed on good terms with you. It's a little bit Slavic too, isn't it? It it might be pan-European. I'm not really sure. Cause like belief in like spirits and fairies and all that stuff is common in one form or another, like from Ireland to Russia, basically. It, the specifics are, are different, but a lot of the beliefs are kind of similar. You know, 
you want to stay on good terms with them. They can be kind of capricious. You don't want to eat with them. They might steal you away or replace your child or something. Like those things are all pretty common motifs. But I haven't ever heard the one about the about building your house with all the doors in a row. I'd be interested to learn if that was a, a real world uh, fairy superstition or if Rothfuss is blending real world beliefs with with beliefs of his own invention. Yeah, a, a cursory Google suggests that it's not explicitly related to fairies in the real world, but what it says to me reminds me of Feng Shui, or I'm not sure of the name of it, but my, my uh, partner's family has a practitioner in it. There's a a sort of uh, astrology of space, I guess you could say, that comes out of India, where mm. the arrangement of the building that you're in matters. It affects your uh, your luck, your fortune, where you put your bed, where you put your desk and things like that, like where you face, uh, that all matters. And so that's what that kind of reminds me of. Interesting. And I've also read, you know, I don't know, I'm going to butcher this, but I have this, this tickles my brain remembering something about how in, in some uh, Asian culture, your doors all have to face the same way because that's the way that spirits can only walk in that one direction. So the right, spirits so they'll leave, in. they'll go through and they won't come back. Exactly. Something like that. So I, I do think that there's a bit of, there's a bit of a, a lot of things here coming to this, but that's part of why it is uh, say it with me, listeners, verisimilitudinous. <laughs> I would also like to point out that while I agree that this is a local tale, because as we eventually discover, uh, it's all true. It's true. All of it. And Quoth uh, does uh, go off and find Fulurian in this exact area. This also has the uh, the same kind of way you start a story that what's a good example. When I was a camp counselor and I would tell a ghost story, of course, I would set the ghost story in the camp oh. I was in. Yeah, it happened in this very spot a hundred years ago today. Exactly. So what Dayton, to me, this feels like, and assuming I'm reading the book for the first time, this feels like that. Like It was these very stretch of woods. Oh, sure it was. But, you know, it makes for a better story. You were the kind I of am, camp counselor that gave me nightmares. <laughs> the, the oh, man. Kind, I once set up, a, I set up an incredible booby trap where I brought my campers out to what we called the stabbing cabin, which was a oh remote God, cabin at the end. At the end of the uh, of the campus, and I told them a tale of what we I called the White Lady, you know, like a, you know, a porcelain face uh, visible through windows, things like that. And then I had one of my co-counselors put on a neutral mask and a white sheet and lurk outside, tapping the windows and things like that before bursting through the door. And it went exactly as well as you can imagine, which is to say, perfectly. <laughs> uh. If I you've ever wanted to see a group of 17-year-old boys scream and run away, then uh, <laughs> you should do that because it's, it's absolute gold. Just the, just the thing to get your kids ready for bed. Yeah, this is like this is like that time we went to Black Creek for like that uh, the escape game that was also scary. And then mm -hmm. the I was really into one of the the like puzzles and I had like laid it out on the ground and was looking at it. And in the meantime, you guys walked away and then all the people with the scary masks came and like got really close to me and I didn't know what was happening until I looked up and they were all there and I ran screaming. I'm pretty sure that, like like I think Jeremy was the closest person to me and I like clutched your arm like I was gonna rip it off. Like, I was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah i think we can all agree that white neutral masks are the scariest thing in the world and they're they very cheap so yeah 
Yeah, head down to your local dollar store, get yourself a, ca- a pack, packet of neutral masks and frightened children. Or, mm. or, or full, fully grown woman, that too. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> frightened Jordana. <laughs> the only other thing I, I want to bring up on this page is the ongoing tragic comedy of Hespi putting down signals that Dayton res- resolutely refuses to pick up simply obliviously not getting that she is like trying to tell him something by telling this romantic story. Yeah. I kind of feel bad for Hespi. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. Like sometimes you like, sometimes you have to dispense with hint dropping and you just have to club someone over the head and say, I like you. Do you like me? Yes or no? Yeah. I think that's the open and honest communication. Our co-host is always going on about. Mm, Might be. All right. Uh, that, that's my main note on this page. Does anyone else have big notes or small notes? Notes of any size? We have a letter that may perhaps be one of our biggest ever. Oh, okay. Like longest or like mind blowing? Well, uh, I think it has far reaching import as you will see in a moment. This letter is from Rachel who writes a challenge. Ooh. Hi guys. This is a call to arms. I need your help and that of your listeners, if they're willing. My partner and I are getting married in June. We met online five years ago, and one of the key things that initially drew us to one another was that we each had Name of the Wind as our favorite book on our dating profiles. Our first date was spent discussing our favorite characters and our pet theories for book three. We got so into it that we forgot to order food, the bar closed, and we each had to buy takeaway on our way home. Oh. I would love to incorporate something from the King Killer Chronicles into our wedding somehow, a quote or a theme or some sort of link to the book that we both love. I was wondering if anybody had any ideas. I have so many ideas. <laughs> Jer- Jer- you've come to the right place. Jordana loves planning parties. I really do. <laughs> so far, so far I found this quote. Anyone can love a thing because that's as easy as putting a penny in your pocket, but to love something despite to know the flaws and love them too. That is rare and pure and perfect. Any other ideas? Signed, Rachel. All right. Uh, I'll let you guys say your thing, and then I'm going to go on a great rant. I think you should rant. <laughs> I think you should go off. Okay. Okay. Oh, I have so many ideas. <laughs> this is so much fun. Um, okay. So I think that a great guest book idea would be to invite your guests to write seven words in the guest book. Like, give like obviously, in the guest book, your guests will write whatever they want but like encourage them to be like what are seven words from you kind of thing i think that would be really seven words on love Uh, maybe yeah seven words on love um i know that like depending on if you're doing the like the pre-party stuff because there's like a what do you call those things bridal showers uh i know that like one of the bridal showers that my mother-in-law held for me she gave out these little note cards and on the note cards, people put uh, like advice for your future marriage, which is hilarious because I got one card that says never go to bed angry. And another card that says it's okay to go to bed angry. And I put them right beside each other in my, like in my book of like all this stuff I have. Cause it's very funny, but that sort of thing for seven words would also work. Like if you have some kind of shower, like you could be like, okay, everybody write seven words. I, I don't mean to interrupt your rant, but I do have a variation on that. You know how they go for it at the university. They have like the questioning hall where they like, they put a, a question and they throw it into the wind. 
you could do a variation on that where instead of questions, Ooh. it's like wishes for our marriage. And you could like have people put them in a jar, you know, the questioning jar. And then people give you like good wishes. I would put them on leaves. Yeah, I would say I would cut the paper in leaf shapes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jordanic. Or just actually put them on leaves so that you're not dropping a bunch of of paper into the... It's hard to write on leaves, though. It's kind of Sharpie. To me, the wind is a big part of it. Let the wind carry them off into the world. You you put them in a jar that has a fan in it. And then when the fan goes, they swirl. Oh, that's great. Because then you still get to keep them. Right, and then you reach in and you grab one, and then that one, whoever wrote it, is the winner. Sure, what do they win? I don't know. <laughs> I also think that it would be funny if you could, like, like you know, like, stag and does. They do, like, uh, games and stuff. A good stag and doe game, I think, would be if you, like, collected all the, like, poems and songs and stuff from the book, and then people would have to just, like, make up, or, well, the tunes are kind of already there, but, like, kind of whoever sings it best wins kind of kind of style game. I think that would be funny. You could do something where you get all the words from the poems and then you shuffle them up and you have to make a new one. Ooh, ooh, that's fun. Like an anagram, but for... Like uh, like those fridge magnets. you know. Yeah. The, oh, the I have those actually. It, if you're looking for like a quote from the book that you could use in the ceremony or something, doesn't... I feel like at some point when... Elodin, when Elodin is teaching, he analogizes the process of naming to to love. And I'm not thinking of the, the the crude analogy he uses early on, but I think there's there's something like that, isn't there? I can't remember the exact word or or what or what scene it happens in precisely. I forget also. I'm sorry. Mm. My only other thought is to exchange rings of grass, which is the vintage Ooh, tradition. Yes, that, that would be uh, great. You do when you're courting. I mean, I guess you could also exchange, you know, gold rings or whatever, but uh, I mean, that would be cute. I'd like to open this up to our listeners. I feel like there's a great opportunity here for uh, a sort of collaboration, a community collaboration. And that really tickles me to think that uh, yeah, this kind of delightful. lasting union might come as a bit, a bit of sort of a crowdsourcing through our podcast. That's a, a real uh, sweet thing to think of. So not not to cut it short, please feel free to keep on proposing, but I'd like to open this up to our listeners. If you have any suggestions for some name of the wind themed shenanigans for Rachel's wedding, write in and we will pass them on in the form of reading them on this podcast. The only other one idea that I had, uh, and you've probably already thought of this, but if your wedding is going to have like song and dance uh, at the, you know, after the ceremony, and if your wedding is going to have a bar, the drinks could all be themed after things that they might order at the Aeolian, you know, your Soundtons, yeah. your 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 Methaglins, what have you. And uh, maybe you could even figure out some way to incorporate. I know that we've we've talked about them before on this podcast. Various like fan versions of the songs, like the Lay of Circevian, which is a love ballad. So if you felt like doing some like YouTube research, like f- finding out like fan versions of those songs maybe you could incorporate those somehow into like the music that plays before the ceremony the music that plays after something like that could be fun uh get people get people slapping their knees and and throwing out verses of tinker tanner maybe maybe okay also i think that whatever they happen to think that like celis flowers might look like they should pick that flower for their bouquet if they're doing a bouquet because that would make sense Remember that I mean, presumably most of the guests won't be super name of the wind fans. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's all name of the yeah, wind. Yeah, but it's not about at a certain point. It's not about the guests. You know what? That's a good point. 
You, you, you got it. <laughs> like, I did a bunch of random stuff for my wedding that my guests don't get. In my husband's vows, he promised to forever give me uh, a supply of chocolate milk and cheese. I don't think any of our guests really understood that joke. I mean, chocolate <laughs> milk and cheese are both great things. So, like, I feel like that's kind of self-evident. But it's not like, like, there were a lot of, like, little things that happened in our wedding that were just for us. And I think that having those moments in your wedding make that memory last so much longer. Honestly, hire someone who plays a lute. Oh, yeah. Wedding bar. Amazing. Like, duh. Hire Bridget. Hire Bridget to come and uh, and be your fiddler. Yeah, I say Bridget actually, like, mm-hmm. oh, but I don't know if she goes to the States. No, I'm sure she wouldn't go to the States. I don't know that she'd travel to the presumably, States. <laughs> I don't actually know where Ray, Rachel is. We're not doxing Rachel. I don't actually know where she is, so. I have one more, one more. I promise. Last one. I think, like, somewhere... Maybe not vows, but like somewhere in the wedding, someone like they should like tell each other to steal me because that's like oh yeah the thing steal that Dennis me. said. Yeah. Yes, that's oh yes, yep. yeah. It's sexy, but it's not so sexy that it'll scandalize your grandmother. Exactly. Yes, like I feel like that. It like it 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 slide right in like close to the end of vows, like pretty nicely, and you could like kind of just have it between things. I don't know. It's an idea. Yeah. I don't know. Wait, I, I don't know what that sound what? meant. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm sure a lot of things are going to slide between a lot of other Jeremy. things. Jeremy! <laughs> well, listeners, we will leave what is sliding where to your imagination, such as plates off of tables and into mm. the dishwasher after the wedding. But please do write in. Please collaborate on this. Write in with some more corrections, thoughts, theories, whatever you have, because we love to hear them. And we'll be back tomorrow for yet another page of the Wings.